Welcome to the Bad Roman Podcast. On this show, we talk with veterans, community leaders, Christians, and non-Christians as we explore the entanglement of Christians with the state. The Bad Roman Project was created out of the firm belief that as Christians, we are called to follow Christ, not the state. Here is your host, Craig Hargis. Hey folks, have you ever considered what a Christian looks like to a non-Christian? Have you ever considered that your actions may be a turnoff to onlookers, specifically when we are engaged in a debate vehemently defending our stance on politics or religion? This is something that I am completely guilty of myself. Today, we have some folks on the show who aren't Christians and come from different political backgrounds who can speak to what they have witnessed in this regard. I've asked Bad Roman contributor Abby Kleckner to come on and co-host with me. Abby, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you, Craig? I'm um, doing, enjoying a day off. It's it's nice to have a day off from work. I bet, for once. Also on the show, we have uh, Josh Carroll and Nick Orla. Josh, why don't you give us a little background of yourself and, and so people can be familiar with who Josh is. Oh, yeah. So uh, I am one of, the, one of the atheists on the show today. Uh, for me, I've been involved with talking with people uh, socially uh, about their religious beliefs, their political beliefs, uh, a little bit about my background. Uh, I study mathematics at the graduate level right now. Uh, my undergraduate background is in physics, focusing in astrophysics. And I would say politically, I tell help align where my views are going to be coming from. I'm, I align more with uh, like social, social municipalism or libertarian socialist sort of things. Um, we could probably get into that a little bit later as we talk about my, my, my views will probably become more apparent throughout the episode. Nick, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself as well? Yes, I'm an atheist as well. Um, technically, I fall in the line of, of a socialist. I come from a sort of background family who really wasn't all that religious, more maybe spiritual. Uh, so I, I don't particularly know what else to say. I can't say I'm, I'm as well thought out probably as uh, Josh will be in this sort of sense, I fear. But it's cool that you're here because I really want to get y'all's perspective. And if you listen, I don't know if y'all listen to our podcast yet or not, but in the intro, the voiceover guy, he's, he says, we speak to Christians and non-Christians, which hasn't been the case up until now. Like y'all are the first two to be on here that have been Christian. We needed to reach out to other folks and talk about this because it's, it's something that was the driving force that started this project was my frustration, Abby's frustration with other Christians and how Christians are treating people in general based on their political views or religious views. If you see, if you think about like back when 9-11 happened, how Christians were talking about Muslims. I was one of them. I remember, I remember very clearly how I was treating other Muslims. Now today I have, I know Muslims. I have Muslim friends that are some of the nicest people you'll ever meet in your life. And I feel, really feel bad and, and that I didn't get to know some of these people that I was being mean to or being ugly too, just because I was afraid of them because I didn't know, I didn't know them. I was, I was stereotyping them because of what happened on 9-11 and that's not fair to anybody. Yeah. Well, I'm, I, I guess I'm curious to hear your guys' perspective. Obviously you, sorry, my dog is freaking out. Um, you guys uh, are not Christians and I guess, do you have a fundamental issue with Christianity? Do you, like if Christians acted how Jesus, like followed Jesus's teachings, 
Do you think that would have a different outcome or do you think uh, there's something fundamentally about Christianity or religion in general that has this outcome with being entangled with politics and being hypocritical and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, it's a lot of lot in that question. I guess if I if I answer too broadly, you can have me narrow it down. So my issue. So I, again, uh, we talked about this prior to the episode starting, but like my my, my beliefs very much were Christian when I was younger. Um, up until about I want to say two thousand and nine or ten, when I was a wee young twenty four, I think. My my views with Christianity began to separate as I began to educate myself in physics and mathematics. Um, I had always sort of had odd questions. From from a scientific standpoint, not really political, but it came about from like I was raised with the whole fire and brimstone, the idea of you know there's a heaven, a hell, and 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 you know the Big Bang was a lie, and and the Earth is four thousand years old, and that was just kind of like the the generalized area that I existed in as a Christian, and then of course as I and I'm I'm call I was saying I'm calling myself a Christian in a sense of I was learning the Bible, went to a Christian church, not necessarily that I was following the way the way you you know do it. And then the, the big shocker for me that sort of twisted me off of Christianity in, in general or off, it was just in of religion in general, not necessarily Christianity. I, I, a lot of people tell me, oh, you're just angry with God and you just haven't seen the way. And it's, it's religion in general was, you know, I, I, I start learning about science. I start learning about physics. And then of course I go over to Iraq on my, my first, after my first tour. And then I had two subsequent ones and I saw in them, in the people there referring to the Iraqis or the insurgents we were engaged with, just as fervent of a belief in their religion as those in the United States or in, in Christian countries. And when you start asking yourself, what's the main difference between their zealotry versus someone you know, in, in, in Southern South Carolina that believes that you know, Obama was the Antichrist, you know, what's the difference? It's geography. You know, they were, they were, you were born in there, you were born in that community in Southern South Carolina, where that's where you were taught these people that were born in Baghdad, that's what they were taught. And so that kind of was like one of the last little pokes uh, that kind of got me questioning things a little more deeply. And then, of course, as I progressed through my degrees and started seeing the evidence, the science, uh, and, and, you know, you know, one of your questions on your test when you're studying astrophysics is, you know, date the universe, how old is it based on these, you know, actual real data, and you do it. And, kind of in direct contradiction with what I'm taught my entire life, right? And so in general, that's kind of where my split from not just Christianity, just in religious belief in general happened. When you toss in the political aspect, what we're talking about today, when you start to then see that religious belief poisoning public discourse and poisoning uh, the idea of governance, that that's really pushed you. That really pushes me away because I'm like, wow, now – now we're mixing your religious beliefs and miracles and magic and, you know, 4,000 year old earth and stuff like that. Now you're telling me that, you know, oh, I'm evil and going to hell because I've, you know, voted for a Democrat. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, yeah, now, all right, now, 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 now we're fighting because this is ridiculous, right? So that, I guess in general, that's where my break from, because I've, I've read the Bible, I did the church, so I've, I'm trying to, I always try and quash like the squash, the whole, uh, you know, Oh, well, you just don't know about the Bible or have you ever read the Bible or do you, I do I've, I've been there. I've seen it. I was going to be a minister. That was like my plan before I did not become a minister. So that's so interesting. Yeah. And that's one of my, um, big criticisms of Christian culture too, is that there's no diversity of thought allowed. There's no questioning allowed. And there's a lot of questions. And I think from my past experience, you're not taught. There's really a lot of 
diverse beliefs within Christianity and Christian history, and you're kind of not even exposed to those. It's kind of like your own little denomination decides what the truth of the entire history of the world is. And if you question it, then you're ostracized. So yeah, that definitely makes a lot of sense to me why (laughs) that would turn you off. How about you, Nick, the same question? Oh boy. Okay. Trying to try to keep up and remember exactly what's uh, been said by everyone. Uh, There's kind of a lot of points that I I agree with. Um, So maybe as a a touch of a background, as I said earlier, I kind of come from a very, not anti-religious family, but just sort of loose in their beliefs. Um, So as a kid, I was never like fully like brought up in, you know, believing the Bible. I was sort of given a chance just to ask my own questions as a kid. And so I was constantly doing that, and I could never get any satisfactory answers from anyone. The, the The best I could ever get was, it's God's will we're not meant to understand, which always seemed kind of like a cop-out to the, the questions I had, and just raised that much more questions. And admittedly, and this is a problem I and I will fully admit it, I've never read the entirety of the Bible. I know bits and pieces of it. Nick, I'm a I'm a Christian and I haven't read the whole Bible. <laughs> so. Well, and I was going to say, like, I don't think it really matters because it doesn't seem like a lot of Christians know the whole Bible or really care about it in the way they act. Like, beyond that, there, there was just constant incongruities with everything that just raised further questions on on every single level, the more I learned. And I, I just could never wrap my head around like how people followed this so much. Um, and then on top of it, as a kid, uh, I was brought to church mm, admittedly only once, like when my father was starting to try to become more Christian. He kind of had uh, an alcohol problem and Family got divorced early on as a kid. There, there was a lot going on. So I think he was doing more soul searching at this point. He always believed he had a, a relationship with God himself. But at a point, you know, Christians started to tell him, no, 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 you can't do that. You have to go through Jesus. So he started to go to church to try to sort that out. And one day I was brought along and I was just too young like ever so slightly too young to be part of the main group so i was forced to go to like sort of the kids section and within the first five minutes they basically said you have to believe uh in god or else you're going to hell and burning for eternity and it was within that i was like okay this is this is literally everything i've ever every negative thing i've ever thought about christianity summed up within the first five minutes of this (laughs) goodbye and and that's kind of gets to a point like people uh, it, it seems christians always talk about you know a loving god but the first thing they'll mention is you know if you don't believe exactly what we're saying you're burning for an eternity it's like that doesn't seem like a loving god and that sort of seems like you're more afraid of the the consequences than your actual believing in you know what you're saying I, I i'm gonna say this right now because i know abby's eating this up right now <laughs> because abby it has a, a, I don't know if y'all are familiar with universalism and it's something that I've, I've come to understand myself and it's completely opposite of what you were just talking about, Nick, as far as a loving God who would send somebody to burn in hell for eternity. And that's why I said, Abby is eating this up right now. Everything you were saying, I, I, I was just imagining Abby just 
chewing on her, on her nails, ready to, <laughs> ready to, ready to, to say something. It makes me smile at least. Like <laughs> I'm, I'm right there with you, buddy. Like, yeah, it does not make sense to say God loves us and he's going to burn you in hell if you don't do what you say forever and ever. When Josh mentioned earlier too about the Southern Baptist, I spent a lot of time in Southern Baptist churches and it was all fire and brimstone. Yeah. It was terrifying. And that's not if you if you go back and look at the teachings of Christ, he didn't run around scaring people in to believe him. Yeah, or trying to manipulate people. Right. I mean, I remember I had a pastor one time with the the, the altar call. The Southern Baptist was a very popular altar call that they would have in church, and he's like, "If you leave here today and you get in a car wreck, are you saved?" And it's. That's not what Jesus was teaching, and I think that is a huge turnoff to non-Christians. Why Why would you want to be involved with some, a, a God that is going to torment you for eternity if you don't believe in Jesus? Josh, go ahead. Yeah, so um, that actually is two things that what you just said also brought something else up. But I'll, I'll lead with that because then I also have another – I have a question for both you and Abby. Uh, kind of turn it around here. Um, Uh-oh. Yeah. Are you prepared, Abby? I can't wait. <laughs> so I, I know this discussion will eventually be getting into the political side, but just still kind of focusing in on establishing our religious views and where we stand. Well, I guess we'll address your first statement about Jesus's original teachings of love your neighbor and kind of accepting people for who they are because God loves everybody, sort of along those lines. Uh, but Jesus... And correct me if I'm wrong, as I was also said, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. So not to want to take that out of context, but it does appear that there is a message even through Jesus, and that was, I believe, John 15, 6. He is discussing that if you do not accept me as the you know, Son of God or as God, then you will be cast from the tree and burned. Does that not strike you as a little aggressive from a pacifist, someone like that. So we'll start with that question and then I'll circle around to the other one, just for both of you. Go for it. Help help me out here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, like I had said before, there's a lot of diversity in Christian belief. And I think just because of how uh, Christian culture generally is right now, we kind of read those with a certain amount of baggage. Um, because we do hear so much about hell, I would say the writing style at the time, and I mean, even still today uses a lot of hyperbole. Uh, so Jesus, when he's, he, cause he does use language like that and he's making a point, not that, and plenty of people would disagree with me about this, but not that, you know, if, if you don't align with, and this, to take it back further, Jesus never really said that you had to subscribe to a certain set of beliefs, but that you should follow him. And if you've seen him, you've seen the Father. So he was talking more about behavior and the way you treat other people than like if you can check off certain boxes that you believe certain things to be true. So he was basically saying you know, I'm I'm giving you the truth. I'm giving you a certain way to live your life, which is to love and serve those around you rather than to try and exercise power over them. Because for the majority of the time he was talking to the religious leaders of the day who were very similar to the religious leaders of today and love to put a lot of burdens and shoulds and shouldn'ts on people. 
give them like numerous rules they had to follow uh, rather than being loving and serving them. And so he was basically saying like, I'm showing you the way to bring God's kingdom to earth right now, which is loving and serving the people around you. If you are not living within that kingdom lifestyle, it's like you might as well be cut off from God, which is life itself, and like withered on the ground or burned in a fire. It's like that's going to be your experience of life if you are basically trying to manage other people and rule over them rather than love and serve them in the way that Jesus was modeling. Okay. Yeah. I guess, I guess this will also probably come back later because I want to tie that into when we get into it of where the, the multiple levels of translation and the knowledge necessary to be able to discuss that in an educated form are what is, I believe, causing a lot of problems when you mix Christianity with, with political systems. But before we get there, my other question, just for both of you, uh, was, so you asked me about uh, what kind of turned me away from the whole religious and believing thing. I would like to ask you, how do you view scientific knowledge? How do you view things such as we understand something like evolution from a scientific perspective or how quantum mechanics works, how mathematics works to model how stars form? When you're presented with scientific knowledge, you know, peer-reviewed, educated discourse on the big bang for instance something that i've studied like intimately how does that affect your views are you, are you along the lines of hey it's god's work it's beautiful or no that's not what the bible says where, where do you two fall i used to not so the whole big bang thing i and i'm you're obviously a lot smarter than i am so when it comes to this stuff so i i'm not smart enough to understand how everything worked how it happened so the Big Bang Theory, I used to be like, no, that's that's wrong. Or evolution, I'm not I'm not on board with that because my understanding of evolution is that we came from an animal, but we were we were created by God as human beings. But the Big Bang Theory, I mean, I don't know. I saw somebody say one time, God said bang and it happened. You know what I'm saying? So I don't I don't try to understand that. My my view of Christianity is very simple. I just try to follow the teachings of Christ. Now, all that other stuff is just stuff to me. And people get into these these long theological debates that don't even make sense to me. It goes way over my head. And if I could just follow the teachings of Christ, that's the best I can do. And in trying to understand all that other stuff, that's that's way beyond me, man. I'm not gonna lie. I just I don't I don't really have an answer for you, to be honest with you. Abby, do you have anything to add to that or Yeah, so um I'm kind of a nerd too. <laughs> so I I really do get into learning as much as I can about all that stuff. And my perspective is like, yeah, God created all this stuff and it's beautiful and amazing. I wouldn't say I necessarily accept or reject anything one way or another. I, I don't I don't feel the need to say like, yes, I believe the earth was created in seven days because that's what the Bible says. Like if we found scientific discoveries that proved otherwise, I think the Bible is not a scientific document. Science didn't exist yet when it was written. Oh, gee, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. And, uh, But I also think uh, there is almost a religious element within science. Um, that you kind of have to be careful of too, because science as far as like investigating and questioning and never stop 
seeing what more there is that we can figure out, I think that's awesome. But I also think there's things that make me question parts of the theory of evolution. Uh, I don't necessarily, I mean, it changes all the time, obviously, but I, I'm more scientific minded. I, I love studying and finding things out. I think that's awesome. But I also think that there is sort of a a mainstream of what is accepted within science, what's allowed to be questioned and kind of conclusions that you're kind of supposed to come to. And then, of course, there's the layer of we're, we're anarchists and, and a lot of money for scientific research comes from the government. And so there's always strings attached to that. So I don't know if that's a definitive answer, but those are just kind of things I think about. <laughs> yeah, that's no, I, was, I was just curious. I always like to throw that around when I'm talking to someone because for me, and I don't know, Nick, uh, Nick you might have a, a similar view. It's like I, I, for me, when I'm talking to someone with your with, with either of your belief sets, um, it, again, a lot of the science is complicated. There, there's a there's a lot of background, like for evolution or Big Bang. There's you know you got to understand some pretty advanced mathematics. You have to in order to actually see the the actual proof. So a lot of people like to say, "Well, I want the proof." Sometimes that proof is really difficult to come by uh, because it takes years of study just to get to a point where you're like, "Oh, that's why we say that." You know, like that's that's where that comes from. Josh, let me ask you something real quick. Now, with what you've learned scientifically, does that how does that discount there being a god to you? Why Why could he be the one that generated that science or the one that caused all that? For me, I approach it in two ways. So for myself, I don't see a physical evidence or a natural evidence for a, for a God. I don't see it. Um, for me, if there was a God and I was able to find said evidence within the physical universe, within the natural laws, I'd be the first to say, hey, there it is. Found, solved for X, found them, right? To me, I would say that the question of a God I am perfectly okay, and I have a lot of Christian friends that I talked to about this, imagining God as sort of the master mathematicians, who, who the master mathematician who uh, who crafted the prime numbers in the original, in, in the beginning, crafted the primes, and then set the laws of, uh, uh, set the laws of nature in motion. And then what happened happened because of the, the laws that were written by some being. If I can get somebody of religious belief to accept that or to at least get to that point, I feel like that's that's enough. For me, I love that. And I was literally just talking to my kids yesterday about how I think God loves math because <laughs> there's so much math based baked into the universe. So I'm with you on that. <laughs> yeah, the universe is written in differential equations. Yeah. It's mathematics at the core. And yeah. so to me, I do not necessarily accept a all-powerful, all-knowing, like the, the Christian God, I would suppose you could say, or the, 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 the monotheistic God. I don't accept that because I don't accept something that can both be a part of the physical natural universe, but also not be when convenient. And so for myself, if, if there is a higher power, of course, I do not discount it in a sense of I can't prove he isn't there, just like I cannot prove that there's a teacup orbiting the sun at a certain distance. I, I like to say to my Christian friends that are on the fence about science versus God is what if God created the equations that allowed for evolution, that allowed for the Big Bang, that allowed for stars to form and planets to form. And then I usually, I make headway in that way where they go, wow, to me, I think that would make your God even more fantastical that, that because that he had the foresight to craft the primes out of the, out of the ether, you know, something like that. Like I said earlier, I keep it very simple because it's easy for me. And sometimes I wonder like all the stuff you're talking about that, he designed it this way so 
we could have something to do, <laughs> like something for Josh to, to seek out something, you know, to keep Josh's mind busy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Keeps me employed. Right. Like, you know what I'm saying? So maybe it's just, it's just, it's something he did. So Josh could have something to, to seek out. That's just kind of how I view it. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm right. I don't know, but that's, that's how I try to keep it simple. Nick, go ahead. I would like to just make a few little points. One, especially for people who are outside of like the scientific community, it can be hard to understand because a lot of the time the, the language used in science is sort of different than it is with normal English. It's almost like a second language, essentially. So that can also add a further confusion for you know, people who aren't fully familiarized with it. Another thing I would like to add is that since I was a little kid, I always loved mythology. So I, I've, I've always read up a lot of on Egyptian and Norse and, you know, different mythologies, including some like Japanese Shinto mythology. And what Josh said at the end, you know, wondering if God set up all these different mathematical uh, formulas and, and that is, you know, what God's actually been doing or did. It, it strikes to me a lot of how different mythologies throughout time have just been means to explain the unknown. And as as appealing as I, idea as it is to think, okay, God did, you know, create the Big Bang, he set up evolution, it still rings hollow and similar to the, the basic ideas of what mythology set out to do in the first place, of just trying to answer kind of everything they could and and see in real life with with simplistic answers of deities who have created everything it's the simple pleasant answer that humans like but it sort of misses so much to me i like that man i, I really i agree with that actually i mean i didn't used to i'm not gonna lie but i mean where i'm at now and my my understanding of, of god and jesus is i i accept that I mean, because there are things about God that we'll never, we will never understand while we're here now. And I don't know where it is in the Bible, but when we're there, we will fully understand the mind of God. Now, right now, we're too simple. We're, we're simple human beings. We can be as smart as the next person, the smartest person in the world. We're never going to understand the mind of God. And so if it's just something he did, I'm, I'm cool with it. <laughs> it's, it's his world, man. I'm just living in it. Yeah, no, um, yeah, yeah, that's what that's again kind of where my atheistic standpoint is, is is that it is the search for that ultimate simple truth. And uh, previous cultures, the world over, have all had their own explanations. I mean, you know, there was a time when thunder, you know, thunder and lightning were, you know, the the, the gods were angry, and then of course science uncovered that it was just, you know, it was differential, uh, you know, electrostatic charges within the atmosphere that was causing it. We are further. It, this this comes down down to like the whole god of the gaps argument, and as as the domain of science expands, God's domain shrinks sort of idea. And so for me, like, that's why I, whenever I'm arguing or discussing religion with people who are obviously devout in their beliefs, whereas yes, I would like to get them to accept science and, and discard mythology or discard magic and mysticism. At the same time, I feel my goal, especially because this is, I'm trying to aim this in a political direction. My goal when discussing them with them is to also say, Hey, you know what? Sometimes maybe it's okay in your beliefs to accept science as well, because there are things that we need to use science for to get things done. 
And so, whereas I myself obviously discard the idea of a all-knowing, all-powerful, intelligent being, if I can get somebody to think, hey, what if this intelligent being really did create all of this science? And, and our role as human beings is to discover so what Craig was saying it is our job to discuss discovering science might be the form of understanding your God more. Uh, so, so I guess for me, my God is Spinoza's God. You know, it's, it's the God, it's nature, it's, it's patterns, it's mathematics. It always makes me sad when it's seen as like belief in God versus belief in science. Like I, I really think the two mesh together so well. And I, the reason I get excited about studying those things is because it, I feel like the the more you learn, the more wonder you have of like, oh my gosh, there's so little that we understand about how anything actually works. And there's new scientific discoveries every day. And I think that's amazing. So two things that I thought of when you guys were talking. I read this a while ago. I don't know if it's, I should probably verify my information before I say it on podcasts, but <laughs> I read that uh, the astronomer that discovered Pluto Actually, uh, astronomy is what convinced him that there was a God because he said it just seemed too perfect that our solar system was set up the way it was. It was like it was intended for people to discover it and to be able to see and explore what was created because our solar system is flat and our atmosphere is clear and just so many things were set up in such a way that we can explore space and we can look out into the things that are around us and that we are able to learn about all these things. And that just the more pieces you discover, there's more and more and more to discover. And it's like infinite, which I think is just so cool. And then the other thing, I think people have different levels of a need for certainty. And I think I see this in, in both the religious and the scientific communities in that I think it's just human that people want to feel like they have the right answers. And so when more questions are introduced, it's kind of, there's like that aversion of like, that doesn't match up with my understanding, so I'm going to reject it. And like you were saying about the mythology, I think it was a simple understanding, but also an effective way to begin kind of understanding consciousness and how we work as as humans and as communities um, how the world around us works. Like it, yeah, it's obviously a human understa- understanding of trying to discover how things work. So it's, you know, just, just how they used to think that the earth was flat and covered by a dome. It's like you, you, your understanding has to begin somewhere. <laughs> but also in the scientific side, I think you can uh, get stuck in kind of saying, well, if if it can't be proven, then it's not true, which is like, well, how how much have we proven o- over time? Like, it, you know, how much has science changed? Our, our understanding at one point in time isn't going to be the same as our understanding at another point in time. And I think it's important to, for both science and religion, to keep allowing the questions and not say that's that's not allowed here, that you can't bring that into this space. We're not allowed to wonder about that. This is settled and we're not allowed to question it anymore. You know, that kind of idea, I think on both sides of it is important. I think that's, that's awesome, Abby, because I think that is, that can be a turnoff to non-Christians of how dug in Christians are about their beliefs that they're not willing to seek out that maybe there's something else going on here that, God is part of 
Josh? For me, I guess just the point of, you know, for the, the atheist or the scientific standpoint in that the, the reason that belief in a supernatural being or religious and the religion and science do tend to not mesh is because in religious beliefs or in the belief in the supernatural is believing something without evidence for, i.e. faith, versus I will not accept something unless it is sufficient evidence for. And those are contradictory. And that I don't I don't believe in the Big Bang or evolution. I accept it based on what we can prove and what we know. Versus with God, to prove God is futile. As you were saying, Craig, there's so much you just cannot know. To actually provide a scientific natural framework proof for it is not going to happen. In such you believe in him as a method of faith in how you believe how you feel and exist. And so that's to, just to the point of why there is a big issue between science and religion and them not meshing. It's not from the standpoint of obviously both are trying to answer questions. That's true. One of them supposes an answer and then believes in it based on their, their feelings and how they view it versus the other says, I will not believe it or I will not rather accept it until something is presented in a way that it is provable to me. And I I actually have an entire paper I wrote for my mathematical philosophy course a while back where I actually dive into what's in mathematics known as realism versus anti-realism. That is a whole deep rabbit hole of information I won't go into. But it does. It starts touching on that what is knowable, what is provable, is empirical evidence the end-all, be-all standard of truth, that sort of thing. But anyway, I don't want to take us down that rabbit hole. That's a long conversation. Hey folks, Craig here, and I'd like to let y'all know we are always looking for writers to contribute to our blog. I don't care if you have any experience or not. Two or three of our contributors had no prior experience writing, and it turns out they have a real knack for it. Our project coordinator helps them put the articles together, and she publishes them on our website and Facebook page, and you will also have the option to come on the show and go more in-depth about your article. So if you like what we're doing at The Bad Roman, and would like to try your hand at writing, then send us an email at thebadromanpodcast at gmail.com. We're having a blast with this project, and we would love for you to join us in helping promote it. Now back to the show. All right, so Christians and government. So Josh, I'm going to start with you. Are you politically active? And if so, what is your perspective on how Christians behave during an election cycle? I'm definitely politically active by definition. I do vote. Um, I get involved usually through social media is one of the better means of communicating with people. I try to engage people on posts um, in comment sections, which of course we all know is the nightmare of where to engage. Uh, <laughs> it's apparently where Hitler is still alive. You know, that's where, that's where you end up. But uh, <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> he's in there somewhere everywhere. But anyway, uh, yeah. Um, for me, my view of, of, of Christians, uh, and I guess we're isolating ourselves to the pol- American political system. Right? Uh, so I guess to me, I could sum it up as, I guess, hypocritical in, for, for a lot of reasons, um, especially, I guess, with how Christians recently have been behaving. And by Christian, I'm not trying to generalize all the denominations. I, I see it more from more of like that sort of a, the, the, the Protestant approaches, like Southern, Southern, or sorry, sorry, Southern Baptists, correct me if I'm wrong on my terminology, where you have a lot of very evangelical shouting for Donald Trump or for the Republican Party and and, and the things that they espouse, the the things that they talk about in their church versus what they're saying on social media or what they're saying in public, just very contradictory to me. And it's 
it's very, it's rather infuriating, as I'm sure we'll probably get to. Yeah, it's, you're you're exactly right. It's very hypocritical, extremely hypocritical, and that's another thing that was part of the frustration with us is in starting this is trying to point that out. We try not to judge folks, no matter what. But I'll be honest with you, and like Abby and I were talking about doing this episode, she said something very funny, and it's so true that her and I probably resent Christians more than you guys do. <laughs> and I don't know if that makes sense to y'all or not, but it's because we're trying to portray what Christ teaches. If you take the teachings of Christ, he said, love your neighbor, love your enemy. It was very simple. And you don't see that with Christians these days, and especially with the ones that are involved with politics. Nick, how do you feel? What is your perspective of Christians and and their and how they are behaving when they're involved with politics? Honestly, I, I'm sickened on every level by it. Admittedly, always since I was a kid, have seen a concerning hypocrisy in Christianity as a whole from both the, you know, your, your most basic follower to the upper echelons of like Pope and Cardinals of, of just a concerning lack of empathy for fellow man and just a, a sudden hypocrisy of it doesn't seem to be following what it supposedly teaches on most cases. And then once you start getting into the evangelical base, it just gets so much worse. And I, I genuinely can't understand any of it anymore. So the, have you had any like like one-on-one conversations with a Christian where, you, where you've seen this or is it, is it online or... It's more of a standpoint of like trying to understand, you know, kind of the general teachings of the Bible versus how people act in real life. Um, it's been some talking with actual Christians. It's, I admittedly am very much of an asocial person, so I tend to stick to myself, which is why through social media, I have almost no idea what's going on. That's actually very smart on your part. <laughs> Because it's it gets pretty ugly on social media as well. That's what I've noticed. The the few times I do kind of poke around in like comment sections and things like that, uh, it it turns incredibly nasty very fast. Right, and we're recording this right after the day that Biden was proclaimed the president of the United States. And have either one of y'all seen any kind of this going on with from Christians since this has happened? Josh, you have? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think there is a there's a video that went viral uh, like a day ago where it was a bunch of evangelicals outside the Nevada Voting Center where they were praying as hard as they could for more votes for Trump. And then I've also seen a lot of um, just, again, because I have a lot of people across multiple like beliefs out of my time in the military versus my time out of the military and academia. So I've got like a wide swath of people like, on my social media sites. And it's it's everything from... Some that are just like, hey, it is what it is to, well, God is dooming our country. You know, that's that's it. Uh, we, we voted against God and now, you know, the rapture's here. You know, and, uh, I never understood the whole rapture because isn't that kind of like the end game, right? Like we're at the end. And so I don't know, whatever. But anyway, yeah, so definitely I've seen a lot of that where there's been a heavy, if, from the religious perspective, not just the political, but just from the whole like, Trump chose God, and now that Trump lost, that means the America has forsaken God. And and then to me, I'm thinking, but if it was God's plan, how can humanity ru- ruin that? And then they're like, you know, then they say something about faith. I don't know. But that's just kind of yeah, what I've seen. Well, you mentioned the rapture. Now, back in my active voting days, 
as a neocon, I would follow newspaper clippings, the news, because I thought everything was happening because this is what it talked about in the Bible. I really believed in the rapture back then. I don't any longer. I've learned along the way that it's God, God's kingdom is already here. Now, I don't believe any of that garbage anymore. And I think that's used as a, like a fear, fear-based gospel, which is not what Jesus taught. And I think you see a lot of the evangelicals today. I don't know if y'all spend any time on, you probably don't, but like Franklin Graham, y'all know who he is. Okay. So he's the son of Billy Graham, very popular evangelist, which Franklin Graham is not his dad. I'll say that. But if you spend any time in the past few days on Franklin Graham's Facebook post, he was, I mean, he was like, Josh was just describing praying for more votes for Trump and this and that. And I would go on there just to be because I'm ornery. And I'd be like, listen, this is gross. If you go spend any time reading what the early church taught or what they said about the state, they had nothing to do with it. And then comment after comment. Amen. Yes. God bless America. God bless Trump. God does not care about this. And Christians don't understand that. American Christian. I, I Let's just keep it with American Christians. American Christianity is, is, if you go outside of the United States, from what I understand, I've never been, it's completely different than what we see here. Now, Romans 13 is always brought up, and Romans 13 is used by Republicans whenever their guy's in office. Now that their guy's not in office, they're not even going to talk about it anymore because they're not going to, they don't, they don't want to hear anything about it anymore. Abby, do you have anything you want to add? So I would say both of you stated that that uh, your main issue with Christians in politics is uh, being hypocritical. So I I would be curious to know if you thought Christians were not being hypocritical, how do you think that they would act in like the pro- political realm? It, for me, I guess if they were not acting hypocritical, then you would still. So to me, I, I think about it mathematically. If, if Christians were not utilizing their beliefs or their views inside of a governing system to influence policy, then the government itself naturally tends towards a secular system in which all are accepted regardless of belief. And if, a, if Christians and government were keeping, I guess I, I would suppose, leaving their beliefs at home before they walk into the public door, then there, obviously I wouldn't have an issue with any, just as I would have no issue with a, a Muslim in, in, in office or, you know, a Scientologist in office or what have you. If they do not allow their religious views to, to, to dictate policy that is enforced upon the whole, then obviously I've got no, I don't have a problem. So I think the problem for me arises when they begin to try and utilize their, whatever narrow view they have of the the book that was written 4,000 years ago, you know, when they start doing that and trying to impede laws on people six states away, that that's, that's where, that's where it kind of gets an issue for me. I was probably going to say something very similar, though I don't think nearly as well spoken. If Christians were acting in good faith, then their beliefs would not so thoroughly dictate time in office or or the actions in such a case. For me, the problem becomes when Christians get into government, it's their rights above all others. And anyone else who is either trying to get equal rights or trying to basically equal the playing field, they're always pushed down and crushed underfoot. And it's creating a greater imbalance and further dysfunction and aggravation across the entire system, it seems. So would you say that's hypocritical because 
it contradicts with what Jesus taught? It, it certainly um, seems to at least be in bad faith, one, one could say. Uh, it's hypocritical in the sense of that so much of the rhetoric you see from the uh, particular group that follows Trump so closely, um, the evangelical base, uh, so many of the policies and the actions seem so hate-filled, such as you, you, you would think, let's say, and I apologize if this is crossing a line, but you would think putting kids in cages would be a big no-no. That seems, no matter how you look at it, kind of wrong and f***ed up. But, <laughs> like, I, I'm sorry, I don't I don't see how, you know, that is in any way, shape, or form acceptable. But I, I didn't see any uh, in, of these evangelicals, you know, talking out against it. I, I didn't see anything like that. They seem to, if anything, approve of it, because it is a further entrenching and protection of their own beliefs at the end of the day. No, I love that because you're right. It's absolutely correct what you just said because it's not right to put kids in cages. And it's not okay for Christians to support that because some guy in, in some form of political power has a letter by his name that is supposedly pro-life because he's got an R by his name. Christians need to understand that Republicans are not pro-life. They're not pro-liberty. They've, they've spent a lot of their time being anti-life. If I, yeah, can I actually make a point on that? I've never understood the whole pro-life movement. It seems we care more for unborn fetuses than actual people. Like, if you're pro-life, then you would help people who are already here and in desperate need of help. Versus an unborn life, which the second it's born, you stop caring about. You're right. There, there seems to be a... a Admittedly, they have great branding, but the problems they're trying to address seem ass backwards. No, you're not wrong. You're not wrong at all because, let, well, let's just take let's just take the the ongoing war on terror. It's been what started back in 2001. It's 2020 now, and we're still killing people that we don't know that are alive and walking around just trying to live their lives. You're absolutely right. They are not pro life. I don't care what any Republican says that they could they can speak to it and they keep they keep Christians that are engaged with that hooked with that pro-life ideal because it's that's how they keep them. I have a friend where he worked for the government and I don't know if you're all familiar with Karl Rove, but it was back in the Ronald Reagan administration. And I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but they were concerned with losing the Christian vote. I don't even remember what it was for. But Carl, Carl Rove's answer, it was a note that was sent to the president, but Carl Rove got it first. And he said, don't worry about it. They have nowhere, nowhere else to go. And that's the mentality of the Republican Party. They think that they can hold on to Christians because they speak to pro-life. They're not pro-life. That is absolutely absurd to believe that the Republican Party is pro-life. This is when I get really frustrated with Christians when they talk about pro-life. You know, they want pro-life uh, Supreme Court justices. No. Trump said in a debate that abortion was not even on the ballot. It's like it doesn't even register with them. It's okay. He's got a letter by his name. Anyway, I'm going to go on a tangent. Josh, go ahead. I apologize. No, it's a good tangent to have. I, again, a lot, of, a lot of people in the government are not actually pro-life. It's, it's just a... Well, of none of them are. If you, if you think about... 
if you think about the state itself, it's the state is violence. Everything they do is violent towards somebody somewhere. Uh, yeah, no. So like for me, again, this will probably get into something we can discuss more and, and stating that I try to avoid blanket statements in general. Um, and the reason is something that I can, we can get into later. I call it false equivalencies. And so for me, I, I, I don't necessarily accept everyone or all of government is all pure violence. Um, to our point on, 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 on Christians in government, or at least in this, in this re- most recent iteration, which is I'm assuming what spawned this talk, topic with the evangelical vote just falling in line behind the Republican Party, trying to support Trump. It, the hypocritical aspect that me and Nick talked about is also like if you look at uh, Donald Trump, the, the topic of the hour is anything but what you would expect a follower of Jesus would be. I mean, we're talking adultery, we're talking divorce, we're talking just all about money, all about greed, all about helping himself. Josh, check this out. Listen to this though, right? right? When he was, when he won the nomination, he was being interviewed and they asked him if, if he'd ever asked God for forgiveness. You know what he said? And this didn't register with any Christians for some reason that went out and drove to vote for him. He said, I've never had a reason to ask for forgiveness. And that's, that's the whole that's the whole basis of Christianity. I mean, how do you how do you hear him say that and be like, oh Franklin Graham said it's the most pro-life administration ever? Oh, I was so infuriated when I read that. You can't believe you can't believe how mad I was. And I apologize for cutting you off because this obviously this subject grinds my gears. Go ahead and finish. So, yeah, to that point. It's like the, the hypocrisy, it comes down to, I, I've seen it's like, so here's 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 Joe Biden being elected as president, taking over, being elected as president. And, and he's been, by all accounts, a devout Catholic his entire life. But yet, because like you said, he has a D next to his name, not an R. He is anti-God. He is... He's going to kill the nation's soul. And yet we, these are the same people that were saying, Donald Trump, it's okay that while married, you know, he had affairs and it's okay that he's all about the money because winning is great. It's just that, that if, if anything's going to turn people away from you know, accepting Christians inside of any form of government, it's just all you got to do is point that out and go, look, really? like well, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it when he was nominated. I could not believe how Christians were just... <laughs> In, su- in support with him after everything you've heard him say. Blind allegiance. Exactly. And that's when I started becoming disillusioned with the Republican Party. I was like, are you kidding me? They took the crown off of Jesus's head and put it on Trump's. Right. There you go. It's kind of funny because one of my my biggest criticisms of Christians is how uh, judgmental and unaccepting and unloving they are. Yet they give Trump a pass on everything. It's like, oh well, you know, he he's not a perfect man, but but it's I think it's everything they actually stand for at the end of the day. Like I don't think the teachings of the Bible actually matter. I think Trump really speaks more to themselves. Like he, once again, he's also a man who bragged about being the most humble man. <laughs> like. I'm sorry, does no one, like, understand the, the, the hypocrisy of that very statement? Like, <laughs> I didn't hear that, but that's hilarious. Like, it, it makes no sense. I think it was in reference, and I, I could be fully wrong on this, because I know the Dalai Lama has come up somewhat, but I believe it, it was in somewhat relation to the Dalai Lama. Um, like, <laughs> the, there's, there's just weirdness after weirdness and then on top of it how yes he's essentially become the second 
coming of Christ, when I find it ironic, he fits much more the Antichrist, if anything. And I don't understand how, like, that isn't even talked about at all. It's like, it just raises so many questions that I just, I can't understand. I'm with you, man. Trust me, I'm with you. And this is why I wanted to do this episode, because this is the stuff we need to talk about. And this is the stuff that Christians need to understand what is how we're being perceived. Now, Abby and I are in a small minority right now. We're not like your average Christian. Like I said, go to Franklin Graham Facebook post and read this garbage on his post. We don't believe any of that. We actually make fun of him, which is, I guess, is not Christ-like. <laughs> like I said, I'm ornery, and I'll get on there and spout awesome stuff because I'm ornery. It's therapeutic. It's very therapeutic <laughs> to get on there and be like, no, you're wrong. And now they just ignore me. Like sometimes people would comment and then I would get engage them and we would get in a debate and then they just they would end up blocking me or whatever. Anyway, Josh, go ahead. This is along this topic. I think this is an interesting thing that I've been thinking of a lot. Uh, and both of you will have probably your views on it. And I'm sure anyone listening might just something to consider. So from just, if we're going to distill down, this might sound bad, distill down belief in God or distill down God. Uh, you accept, I, both of you accept God as the almighty, the all powerful, the end all be all, correct? Am I wrong in that characterization? I agree with that. Okay. Abby. I do, but I, I, I don't almost want to put a caveat on it. She always has a fight. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think God controls everything. I'll just say. Ah, okay. All right. All right. Well, then this will be interesting to hear your response. So people that are raised as you are, I'm assuming both, well, I don't, I don't want to assume, but I, I, were both of you raised fairly Christian or at least have been involved in Christianity for a while with that teaching, with that interpretation of God? Am I, am I right in that kind of thought? Yes. Yes. Abby, are we being interviewed or are they being interviewed? What's going on here? Turning the tables. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I do as a sign. I ask questions. I'm curious. So, um, for me, when I look at how people, children raised in the, in the idea and mindset of th- there is this God, he is all powerful, he is all, the ultimate end all be all, what he says goes, he spoke the laws of nature, they appear, that whole thing. That is very, to me, authoritarian. That is very top down. What God says is what it is. It is not my place to question. Do you think that that plays a role, especially in evangelical Christians? Does that not play a role to maybe perhaps prime these voters, these supporters in saying, hey, I recognize a lot of that in Trump. He's very top down. What I say goes, that is appealing to them in some way. And that is why it is so easy for them to perhaps just be duped into accepting a sort of nationalistic authoritarian party. Because this isn't just isolated to the United States. We've seen this throughout history where you do have devout religious people that fall in line very easily with this top-down authoritarian structure. And then when you look at their beliefs, their God is very top-down authoritarian. What do you think about that? I think that is a super interesting observation. I've never thought about it in that way before, but I- I want everyone listening to think about it. That's why I'm asking it. Yeah, no, I think that that makes a ton of sense. And like I was saying before, that that level of certainty that a lot of people, a lot of religious people need to have um, kind of that like solid ground to stand on. I know what the rules are. I've, I've thought about it in kind of a different way in terms of- uh, mass incarceration and just the United States has so many laws that nobody knows how many there are. And I, and I think a lot of that comes from uh, this, I, the idea of the like um, wrathful God that Jesus had to die to appease God's wrath, because e- even though people say God's forgiving, it, he really couldn't forgive. He, he has to punish every single sin. And Jesus just took that punishment, which I think is a completely incorrect way of understanding the atonement. 
But I think it is kind of along those same lines of we have to punish all sins. We have to have rules for everything. We have to have an authority that we follow. Yeah, I think you're right on in that. I was just going to say, I really appreciate Josh being here because I've wondered that myself, but did not have the proper knowledge to ask that in such a interesting way. So thank you, Josh. And also something, I'll just go ahead and make everybody mad in this podcast, but uh, (laughs) Christian anarchists, I feel like a lot of them replace this kind of authoritarian state. They, They can recognize that and reject that, but they replace it with a very authoritarian religion and um, kind of very strict rules on uh, almost theocracy, which is equally unsettling. <laughs> oh, I thought you was going to make me mad. You're talking about people listening, I hope, because they didn't make me mad at all. No, not you. The, the, other, <laughs> the other Christian anarchists we know. I'm not going to mention any names. Right. <laughs> when, I, when I have these conversations, and this is, again, we're probably, if we have time, I can tie this back into this false equivalency and this what I call measuring from extremes uh, in, in mathematics or even in physics. If I, if I take an extreme position on something or I have an extreme view, then it's really easy to characterize the rest of the, you know, in math, the rest of the function, because from my extreme, everything else looks smooth. But when you actually get into the nuances, it, 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 it isn't as easy. The nuances matter, the, or what we call it in math, the boundary conditions matter, for instance, you know? So when I when I talk to somebody that has these views of like you know they believe in God as the Almighty the all the you know the ultimate authority in the universe to me that is the ultimate authoritarian you are punished for your thoughts you know your your thought crime is a thing uh, you you can you you will burn in hell for this and this so when they see a candidate that basically has a lot of the same like how dare you not be loyal to me I will punish you for not being loyal was it Trump's executive order before like, you know a few weeks ago where he's like if you're not loyal to me I can fire you now it's kind of like that. I feel like there's got to be something there that appeals to, and again, I'm picking on evangelicals, but I mean, this can go back throughout history where this just seems to appeal to that base aspect of something that is ingrained in them from a child that you must respect authority. Authority is a good thing because God is the all powerful thing. And then they see a candidate and that resonates with them. And whereas both with both of you, obviously you went the other way. You went, Hey, that's wrong. We, <laughs> there is only one person. There's uh, to me, I see it as you, you, you respect only one authoritarian, no other count. Yeah. I don't see Jesus as an authoritarian though. Or God rather. Well, well, it's the same guy to me though. It like, like Abby said earlier, when what Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the father, they're the same person. So, and if you look at the teachings of Jesus Christ, there was nothing authoritarian about him. Nothing. If anything, he's our friend and he wants what's best for us. And he's just trying to lead us down a path to like, hey, love that guy that you're mad at. Do do both of you accept not believing in him as the ticket to hell? Oh, this is going to go down a rabbit hole. I don't believe in hell. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, the more the more views, better. Like I mentioned earlier, Abby has a is, is the universalist ideal. And it's something that I've come to understand as well. Okay, what y'all are what y'all are understanding as hell is not what we understand as hell. You know what I'm saying? What? So it's not eternal torment. As Even though it's described as such in the book, you espouse as the writings of your God. No, I don't agree with that. I mean, I think people can interpret it that way. And I think also, again, because of the current understanding in the culture we live in, we tend to come to reading the Bible with a lot of baggage. And if you have that understanding going in, which has been developed throughout the last few thousand years, um, you're going to read it in a certain way. But 
the majority of the early Christians did not believe in hell as a place of eternal torment. There was a minority of them that did believe that, which came from Jewish mysticism, because it's not at all discussed in the Old Testament. But like words that are a lot of translation issues, words that are translated as eternal don't necessarily mean like an infinite amount of time. There are several words that are all translated as hell, which each had kind of their own meaning. What what I've noticed, and and I used to be this way. What I've noticed with the majority of Christians, they they worship the Bible and not Jesus. Well, their understanding of the Bible too. They're not. Right. And so, and speaking of that, and we've had, I don't know if y'all know who Keith Giles is. He said something once on, on our, one of our podcasts, he said, the human capacity to get things wrong is endless. So if we're going to sit here and worship every word of the Bible and not Jesus, the, what Jesus taught, the, that's what I, when I was talking about earlier, just, just being simple about it, follow the teachings of Christ and all that other stuff is just stuff. It could be wrong. I'm not, I, and I do question things. I have a, I don't want to, it's called a reflective mind. It was somebody was talking about one of our shows, Brooks and Cavey. And he said that and I was like, you know what? I think I have one of those brains too, because I question everything. If I don't question everything and accept what is being taught me, no, I've got to go figure it out on my own. But the human capacity to get things wrong is endless. And I think that goes with the Bible because there's, like she said, there's so many translations. And there's a lot of contradictions within the Bible, too. I mean, it's a collection of books written over thousands and thousands of years from different cultures. That we cannot understand in 2020. Right. Cultures that we can in no way relate to. And so I think a lot of people don't look at it in in that way. And it's important that, you know, this is recorded experiences with people seeking after God over a certain amount of time. It's it's not like God came down and wrote a book and then handed it to us. <laughs> Nick, go ahead. Well, I think Abby kind of brings up a, an excellent point of, you know, essentially the book's been written over thousands of years by multiple people and constantly changed and re-edited. Like, th- that is part of why I could never really accept it because you know if depending upon which bible i read there's 20 different others which may have vastly different stories and what i kind of want to ask for both craig and abby and to both your beliefs and maybe the the greater christian community because i'm not horribly familiar with it like do you think that the bible is the word of god or is it more just the translation from people or something else entirely. Like I think Jesus is the word of God. But how can you know exactly what his word is when it's been changed and altered so much? Well, I don't think you can go back and read like the original Greek and go back to read what he said. And this is where the translations come in. And this is why everything is so misunderstood. There were words that he used. He spoke Aramaic. He didn't speak American. <laughs> so if you go back and, 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 and understand the, the, what he was saying in, in that culture, in that, in that language, it's not going to mean the same thing as we're going to understand it today, but it's the, the very simple fact that love your neighbor, love your enemy and everything else is just kind of just to me, just kind of falls in place. And, in, and it also says, you know, we're led by faith, not by sight. So if I keep it simple, then, then I feel okay with that. I'm not going to try and question anything he said. Now we have 
the writings of the Bible, obviously, but it doesn't mean that they're wrong. They could be, but it's what Jesus said, and that's what I what I cling to. Josh? Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, talking about like, you know, bringing it into the government thing. If, if there is so much inter- issues with interpretations of the Bible and how people view it or what they read it as, I would say that is the strongest case to keep any governing authority, whether voluntarist or, or, or you know, communist, what have you. It, it, should, it should remain secular. In that, and I'm, I'm not advocating for comedy. I'm opposite of that. But the 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 idea I see is like when you have these like this what's called the evangelical vote in this country. I think that's a ridiculous phrase. To, to like, if you have how many different interpretations of this book, like Abby was talking about, your interpretation supersedes any others. That's wrong to me. That's that's authoritarian to me. If you you know your your own your own interpretation can be used to subjugate somebody else because what you believe is right and what they believe is wrong. I guess to further on that point in, in the reason I'm not full, I guess, anarchist as, as, as either of you would be uh, is that I do feel that there is a place for some, some level of governance. I do believe that there is some level of, of, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say freedoms, but things you need to give up in order to function and exist in a society. And of course, this isn't saying anarchists believe no government whatsoever. I, uh, for if I'm re- if doing my research and talking to or some of our mutual friends, it's a you, you accept governments, but only by total consent of all, correct? Yeah, as long as it's consensual, we don't have a problem with it. We believe in no rulers, not no rules. Okay, so would you, this is, again, I'm trying to keep it in the light of this. When you look at market markets, or like how markets are, are are behaved, such as free market versus planned market. That you know that that side that side of the spectrum. Would you not agree that markets themselves can also be forms or sources of authoritarianism? Uh, no, I don't think so. How do you mean? So, for instance, if uh, if let's say we go completely free market, like no no regulations, right? Like we just let the market be, right? Like a lot of the, I guess, libertarian right side, eco-libertarian sort of thing, I guess, anarcho-capitalist idea, um, where you just allow a market to exist no matter what. Do you not think that in situations, especially we can see this actually something I've studied, where you can get to situations where you have monopolies, where you have coal barons, oil barons, energy barons, uh, the, uh, corporations that gain so much authority and so much ability that they can suppress rights of people by just the means of allowing the market to naturally tend towards those that have more money. And therefore, if you have a market- No. Okay. <laughs> well, okay. How, what do you mean by no? It's not possible. It's not possible with, without government support. Of, like there would be no coal or oil barons without the government backing them. It's just not possible. Uh, I am admittedly quite confused by Abby's stance, but uh, I was going to make a point of how old coal towns used to work where they basically were their own economy where it would just pay back to the coal barons and everything that was made and paid to the workers would just be spent at general stores. And like, it seems by having no leadership to really kind of keep that under control that, yeah, there's always going to be people who come out on top and start to control things, even if it's not originally planned. Yeah, they only got that power through government contracts. Otherwise, they wouldn't have it. Certain companies would amass a certain amount of power based on how successful they were, but it's it's always consensual, where it, with the, which is not at all the system that we live under now or historically in this country whatsoever. 
But if there weren't regulations keeping out competition, there would always be somebody coming up to compete, to do it better, to do it faster, to do it cheaper, to be the better place to work without government regulation stopping that from happening. Okay. So along this line then of no regulation, for one of my, one of my graduate courses, I had a project that I was doing where I was... I, my project that I selected to research was looking at the statement, the freer the market, the freer the people, analyzing that with data over years, changed my views on some things, solidified some on the others. Um, what I found is that there, so the market itself is a tool. And I feel that in some circles, in some belief structures, that the market becomes the government. The market tends towards success. The more successful you are, the more wealth you amass, the more successful you can be. You're able to expand, you're able to hire more people, you're able to do this, do that. Now, my, I myself am not against free market systems. I enjoy them as, again, I'm a libertarian socialist. I believe in a dynamic decentralization. However, when you look at certain systems, especially when you add things like climate change and stuff into the mix, there are going to be certain practices, certain things that the market will tend towards, not by malicious intent, but by the nature of how it's designed to, amass, to generate wealth and to promote winners you're going to end up in situations and systems that actually end up harming the whole. That is where the, I'm not a complete anarchist is because I believe that there needs to be a authority separate from not entrenched in the market, but separate from that can say, Hey, this product is damaging and hurting people. It should not be allowed to be freely traded because it is dangerous. Don't you think the individual should be able to figure that out on their own without a governor authority? I mean, it, I mean, can that person not make that decision themselves? If I were to ask you about how leaded gasoline hurts people, would you know that as an individual consumer, the science and chemistry behind what's happening? I think we'd be able to figure it out at some point. I don't think we need a government to tell us. It's not like the market would get rid of scientists or get rid of people caring about what is better for humanity as a whole. The market did try to get rid of scientists. Have you ever heard of Clear Patterson? Okay, yes, I have heard of that guy. Okay, this is the reason right here. Claire Patterson was a geochemist that was the first one to discover the age of the earth. Pretty cool story. He was also in his research, uh, the one that discovered uh, that the lead, lead content in our water, in our, in our atmosphere was toxic and causing harm. It was the oil companies. It was the market with their claws inside of government. Oil companies are not the market. I'm sorry. Oil companies are not the market. They were birthed by the market. No, no, no. No, 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 no. There's so, so much heavy government influence and regulation. And it's you can't even correlate the two because it it's so controlled by the government. It's not free market at all. Oh, and I agree. If there was allowed to be competition between oil companies and you didn't have to get an in with the government to be an oil company then there could be companies that are like, hey, we have unleaded gas. We're better for the environment. Here's the scientific studies that back it up. And there would be a market for that, just like there is with everything. Just, And I'll just end with saying that the all environment protections it, that the government backs to is make people pay permits so that they can keep polluting. It doesn't actually protect the environment. And the more authoritarian the government, the worse it is on the environment. Okay, now we can move on. <laughs> Let's set up a podcast for that. I think that would be an awesome. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I, I, I'm completely down. I'm completely down to have this conversation because I think it's a it's a conversation we need to have. But I want to get back to 
y'all's perspective on Christians and how they are entangled with the state, how they push their religion on people, how they're hateful to people. Is there something that we as Christians could do differently to not persuade y'all, not manipulate you, not any of that, but get to get you to maybe not resent us for how we're acting? I, Josh, I would like to hear thoughts on this because admittedly, I, I'm a little more uh, vicious in this sense and have not really all that many pleasant things to say. So be vicious. Just watch your language. That's all I ask. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna curse. So don't worry about that. But um, honestly, honestly, I I think Christianity as a whole and is kind of too far gone. I I don't think there is any saving it. And I always kind of go to when people envision the future. Like, a, especially in a more ideal future, like a, a Star Trek or, or something like that of, you know, where, where humanity has evolved to a certain, or maybe not evolved, but uh, has gotten to a certain point socially and scientifically with uh, out in space exploring and, and you know, kind of come to some level of peace with itself. It's always interesting to see how religion is depicted. And quite frankly, it's almost never there. The uh, the ideal vision of the future is one without religion, and quite frankly, I can see why. Uh, I don't think religion, at least on a governmental level, like maybe on a, on an individual level, it still does. But in government, in in politics of any type, it has no place whatsoever. And the harm Christianity has done throughout history and still up to this day is is too great and i don't think it can really ever make up for that fact i don't disagree with that i mean i'm not a big fan of religion to be honest with you and i know that's equated with with christianity I, to me my my relationship with christ is is, is an, on an individual basis so i don't really get caught up in religion anymore like i used to now and i and i don't <laughs> I don't live like I'm supposed to every day or I don't act like I'm supposed to every day, but I'm trying and that's the best I can do. And if I can just keep on an individual basis with me and Jesus, that's where I'm at with him. I don't religion gets on my nerves because it's, it puts a bad, it gives Christianity a bad name. I mean, you can go back and look at the Pharisees in the Bible and how they were acting. That's what religion looks like to me today. And Jesus had a totally different message. Josh, you got anything? Oh, so much. No. <laughs> no. Uh, no, I guess my major sticking points against Christianity or again, saying Christians in general, it's not, I try to avoid the generalization because I know Christians that are just like, like what you're talking about. Like you're like, I think, you know, Christianity and government's not a good mix. And I agree with that. Like I do. So when I say Christians, I'm speaking more towards the ones that want to rule theocratically. Um, I guess my, my major sticking points with them is, is the complete, the ignoring science, ignoring facts, and ruling by personal interpretation of their magical, mystical, miracle things. You know, like, you know, like water into wine and, you know, dust to bone and th things like that. Like, I feel like that is where religion and that is where Christians need to, that does not belong in a governing authority of any type. So I guess the, what Christians could do for me to be, I guess, yeah, I'm not uncool with them. I just, I disagree fundamentally with their, you know, the, their belief in the, in, in the, the non-natural uh, would be to just have Christians like yourself or others say, Hey, look, you can have whatever relationship with Jesus that you want. 
But if you are in any sort of public entity, local, state, federal, that has to be checked at the door. That it, it, it has to be. Like you're, you're trying to develop legal policies for however many millions of people. Your own interpretation should not poison that in any way, period. It shouldn't. You're right. And I, I think Christians have a bad habit of thinking that morality can be legislated. Yes, exactly. And that's not true. It cannot be legislated. Morality is a personal. You can have a moral government only in that the individuals within the government themselves act moral. And, and like you were saying, legislating moral policy is just another rabbit hole of, well, how do we interpret that? Is this the Christian morality of the 1950s or is this human, you know, humanitarian morality of all, we are all human beings, we should love each other? Which, of course, I ascribe to that as morality. But still, I, I think the, the more broad, the more accepting you are of the most broad amount of people, the better. I don't see that from evangelicals. I see this very top down. I'm better than you because I have God and you don't. And, and God's on my side, not yours. Therefore, I'm always right. It's almost like hero worship. Yeah, and they, they try to outsource that to the state. And that's the biggest problem with uh, Christians, in my opinion, is they're trying to outsource what they believe to let a state. And let's, let's, if we're all completely honest with ourselves, the state is evil. From your perspective. <laughs> well, I would say, is secular authoritarianism better than religious authoritarianism? I mean, like, nobody can check all of their opinions at the door, how are you going to rule over millions of people, no matter what your motivation is, whether it's religious or not? This is where coming into extreme, measuring from extremes, you have to then begin to dissect that. Nick, you put your hand up. Good. Sorry. Yes. Yeah, so once again, Josh, uh, there's just a few little points I want to make. And, and one, uh, I want to say you made an excellent point in kind of the ideal sort of religion, I would say, as a whole of, you know, how it would interact with government. I, I would say that was an excellent point. Um, for the, uh, was it regulation of government? What, what was the exact wording? I believe you used government is evil or something along those lines. Do you mind restating that just real quick? Well, if you look at the actions of government, what we see right now is government. We are actively killing people in other countries. Is that not evil? It is. Uh, well, it's, it's an interpretation of evil. I, I do try to be cautious of the idea of good and evil because it creates a kind of black and white dichotomy. All right, so let me ask you this. Is it is it moral to be killing people in other countries or beneficial? No, I, I wouldn't say it's really either of those things. Like, it, it's it's not really moral and it's not really beneficial. I, I wouldn't say our, our system is evil. I would say it's more broken and not properly servicing people. Like, we, we don't really know what we want from our system, which is creating further confusion and discontent in it. And I think... Uh, how we interact with the system as a whole and are educated on it is also in incredibly broken. Well, my opinion on it is that our system is nearly broken on every level. It's not exactly evil. It's just broken and we have no idea how to begin fixing it. I got an idea. <laughs> well, uh, yes, every, everyone has the individual ideas, but like, like, no, I'm talking about as an anarchist. I have a, I have an, I have a, I have an idea of how to fix it. Uh, then that's what I'm getting at. Like everyone has their own individual ideas on how to fix it, or, or small group ideas. But like how to actually try to fundamentally fix it to to make it better and actually have those fixes change and work as intended is a whole other monster. 
Well, that's uh, somebody said to, something to me one time before, and I've mentioned it on this podcast. You're trying to if you if you think that you can change the mafia from the inside, man, that ain't happening. It is not happening. They the the state is inherently evil, inherently immoral. Let's just say immoral, because nothing that they do does not harm somebody somewhere in some fashion. So do you think your own system can do that? Like, I, I'm, I'm not, this, this isn't really a, a, a slight against uh, anarchists, but I'm, I'm just saying I think it would be almost impossible to get a system that actually truly benefits everyone. I think eventually there will be, but I don't think any system we, we have or think of now fits that. And I'll, I'll leave it at that and let Josh go from there. So when you measure from an extreme, it's really easy to glance over nuances. I think the statement that all the government does is immoral or evil ignores a lot of the many successes, the other successes that the government has been able to do. I view the government as a tool to be used. How it is used itself depends on who's using it. If we view the government as a tool of the people to a place where we can come together to do good, the statement of it's all evil or everything that comes out of it is evil kind of goes out the window. Yes, it can be used for evil. It has been. And you could argue, especially in the United States, more evil than good. You can't really argue that with with, co- with cogent facts. You, you, you have to say, yes, the, the government has done a lot of bad things. The government has also done good things. And I, by government, I mean a collection of people that have come together to successfully navigate something like curing a disease, uh, something uh, providing money so that a, a company can distribute vaccines to help protect and save millions of lives. I would just say violence, initiating violence is never beneficial. People coming together to cure a disease, I think that's awesome. People voluntarily contributing money to a company to do what, whatever, that's freaking great. People building roads, whether you do or do not have to ask permission to travel on them, that's fine. Initiating violence is is what we're against and it's never beneficial. My argument comes against what you equate to violence. Violence as in harming a human being or violence as in you, you've, you've taxed a dollar fifty out of my paycheck that might go towards cancer research that saves 10,000 lives. I don't equate that to violence. But you only take that with threat of violence. You, yeah, but you said that it might go to cancer research. The thing is, the majority of our dollars that are stolen from us is used to kill people that we will never meet in our life. The military budget for the United States of America is astronomical. Astronomical. The money that we are, that is that they use is not going, it's very, very seldom used for welfare of another person. It is used to kill people. Now, like I told y'all before, if if we were asked or if we had a say where our money was being spent that they're taking from us, we wouldn't be so against it. The problem is we're not asked. They take it from us and they do what they want with it, regardless of what we say. That is violence, in my opinion. So, yeah, this is a, so this gets into the nuances of like, so for me, I, I'm, I'm much more of a pacifist, especially after my time in the military. I agree. Our military, our, our tax dollar overwhelmingly right now does go towards violent things, such as we have what, 13 aircraft carriers, our components combined have four. You know, like it's, it's kind of, I, I completely agree on that aspect. I think that there's a lot of misuse of the money and I can, and that's again, pu- pushes me in towards my more libertarian views. I'm not arguing that what the state and the dollar does right now is almighty and holy, 
I'm saying for my, if you ever, there's, there's systems that have been tested. I can't find the actual term. It's called voluntary taxation systems. Have you heard of these? I have not, no. So they're, they're, it's like a, it's almost like a form of a municipalist system in which you have a base amount of taxes are taken for just base level things, such as, you know, just, just base level taxes that go towards, you know, maintaining a state. But then you get an option, a percentage where you say, hey, on your, and, and some states, I think, have done this. And just as like a, I, I got to find the actual terms. Maybe we can research it after the episode and, and put links or something where you get to select, hey, you have X amount of percentage of taxes. Where do you want it to go to? There are there are some people and there are some studies and inroads being made to to make our taxation system a little more flexible in that, hey, I don't necessarily want to fund this project. I would, however, like to fund like reforesting certain natural parks. So my percentage that I'm allowed to dictate over, but I get to tell where it goes, it's going to go to the parks instead, right? And so that this isn't oh no, this is like this is being tried and tested. There's studies out on this. But I, I was just curious if you had heard of these. It's like this is a thing that is actually happening, like that people are trying to do. I have less of a problem with that than what's going on right now. Me too, absolutely. And to get back to our original point. The majority of Christians tend to celebrate war for some reason, and they are okay with this astronomical military budget that we have because it's keeping us safe. I would like for those Christians to go to Yemen and talk to those folks in Yemen and ask them how they feel about our military and how our tax dollars are being spent. Christians tend to focus mainly on what they're getting fed from Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, whoever. Yeah. They're not there. There's Christians, Americans, Americans as a whole are lazy and they don't want to spend any time trying to research what's actually going on. They just go to a poll. They vote for a guy because he's got a letter by his name. No matter what that guy is doing, it's OK because he's got that right letter. This has to stop with Christians right now. Well, I think also the worship of America as an exceptional country is so closely tied with being a Christian too, that they're not willing to criticize or to take any kind of critical look or say that anything our government is doing is wrong, really. Um, so I, I think it, it's that like entrenched mindset of like, no, we're Americans, we're the good guys. Oh, I used to, I used to have that mentality. Like I said, when I was a neocon, I was like, we're the good guys. We are taking care of the bad guys. The Bible's very clear. God said, vengeance is mine. He said, that's his. Now, why do we think that he needs our help? Well, and like what Josh keeps saying about the extreme viewpoints, like there's a lot of nuance in there. There are no good guys and bad guys. <laughs> yeah, like, I, like it's the poison of American exceptionalism. And it's basically wrapping the Bible in a blood-soaked flag. It's, it's, it's just this, it's this adherence to were raised, you're, 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 you're taught the Pledge of Allegiance when you're a child and you say it no matter what. It's just pure manipulation and brainwashing. And I've been, I've been called all sorts, like, I mean, I'm a veteran and I've been told I'm unpatriotic, I'm un-American, that's horrible. One, patriotism should not be the measure of moral character, period. And I'll be honest. There you go. And I, I, you, you have to understand, I have, a, I have friends and family that have served. And I have a friend that is, he, he was a Green Beret, fought in Afghanistan, and he hates me right now. Because he's saying that I have not, I, am, I have dishonored all the troops that have fought for my freedom. Man, I'm going to tell you something. I don't remember 
Afghanistan impeded on my freedom. I don't remember Syria, Yemen, Iraq impeding on my freedom. I do know for a fact that the United States government is impeding on my freedom. Every soldier, every police officer, every politician takes an oath to the United States Constitution. And I told him, I said, if we were going to be completely honest, the White House would be on fire right now. If you think if you look at everything that they are doing to take away our liberty, don't talk to me about disrespecting the truth. Hey, I have more respect for the truth than an average American because I want them home. I want them with their families. I'm tired of the United States government using them as pawns and getting them killed. They're coming back in caskets. They're coming back broken. They're coming back maimed. They're coming. And it's got to stop. And Christians got to stop. They've got to stop supporting this garbage. It's not the way of Jesus. It's not what Jesus taught us. Jesus taught us to love our neighbor. That includes Yemen. That includes Iraq. That includes Afghanistan. God did not just create America. He created the entire world and every person that lives in that world. I'm sorry. There's my tangent. Nick, go ahead. I've always found the idea of blind patriotism rather odd, to say the least. And and for Craig, when you said, you know, uh, you Green Beret friend basically criticizes you and and mentions, you know, soldiers died for your freedom. We have a very weird sense of what freedom is in this country. Like, is it not your freedom to be able to question that and be dissatisfied with how uh, a government has run things and and putting so many soldiers in danger? We, We also seem to care more about soldiers who have died fighting for for said freedoms which is all well and good we we should give those people respect but we don't seem to care much about soldiers who come back home with ptsd or who have been maimed or or in bad shape or just anything like that well, i was like the ultimate respect you could give troops is to stop sending us overseas and getting us killed but this is something you and abby i'm sure could address or understand or have heard like i i would come back from iraq and i would have Multitudes of people just continuously tell me, oh my God, you're home. God protected you. God blessed you. He, he put his hand in between you and the bombs. And that to me was just one of the, also one of the major driving things that pushed me away from Christians in general. Cause it was like, you know, I've watched people die. Did God care more about me than them? Like, like they're, they're, they're screaming for their God dying in a Humvee. And you're going to sit here and tell me that I was protected. Like, uh, uh-uh, no, that's just. No, you're absolutely right. No, and I, and I know Abby agrees with this too. You're absolutely right. Because to use that <laughs> to say that God protected Josh Carroll while he was fighting overseas and did not protect that person that they were fighting against is asinine. American Christianity, I think, really drives me crazy. But they, they tend to think, American Christians tend to think that this is God's nation it just really pisses me off because he created everybody. Every person that he created in this world is he loves that person just as much as he does Josh or Nick. There's no wavering. Even that bigger idea is really toxic and Christians get caught up in that a lot. And that's something that, that I struggled with. Um, But the idea that like, Oh, you know, your cancer was healed. God must have healed you. And it's like, okay, but you know, there are kids with cancer who died. Did God not care about that kid? And that that's where I come to. I don't think God controls everything. I think being a loving God means that, that he doesn't control things. 
in reference to, you know, uh, God curing a cancer, what about like different Christian groups which believe, you know, you shouldn't take any sort of life-saving medication because God wanted you to have that thing. Like God, God will sort it out. You have cancer, just pray to him, he'll cure it. And so you, you aren't allowed to take, you know, potentially life-saving medication or treatment. Yeah, I think that's a super damaging super damaging belief. (laughs) Even if you don't go to that extreme, it's, I remember being caught up in that and, and my kids when they were really young had really bad croup and we were also very poor. So going to the emergency room was like a big deal that we could not afford. And I remember like sitting next to their crib, listening to them struggling to breathe and just like praying and praying to God, like, please let them breathe, please. And thinking like, if I had enough faith, they would breathe. If I had enough faith, this would all be okay. And how do I pray right? So God will fix them. And, and that idea, like Josh was saying about like magic tricks and it's like, well, you know, that's not how God works and there aren't magic tricks. And it, there's no level of faith that I could have that would cure my kid over somebody else's kid. And it's not like, you know, horrible things happen every day. And, and Jesus even talks about this in the Bible. Like it, it, was not because of some sin that somebody had that something bad happened to them. Like rain falls on the righteous and on the unrighteous. And uh, yeah, I think that's a really twisted, toxic Christian culture thingy that messes up a lot of people and messed me up for a long time. Well, what to Nick's point and, and what Abby was just talking about, it reminds me of a, it wasn't a joke. It was just something, it was a, talking about a guy on an island, stranded on an island and a boat would pass by and ask him if he needed help. And he said, no, I'm, I'm having faith in God to save me. Another boat passed by and asked him if he needed help. He said, no, I'm, I'm having faith in God to save me. A third boat passes by and asks him if he needs help. And he said, no, I'm, I'm waiting for God to save me. And then he dies. And then he asked God why he didn't save me. He goes, I sent three boats. <laughs> and sometimes there are no boats either, but God... <laughs> God still loves you. Like it's, that's not what it's right. It's not about magic tricks to, to making happen what we think should happen. Nick, I'm going to let you have the final point, man. We're pushing on two hours now. So, well, I just have a a question and feel free to tell me if this is too off topic, but I I think it is at least important to bring up since it does seem to be so influential in the Christian community of, of these basically tele uh, televangelists who, you know, basically say, uh, you know, send me money and, sow the seed of God. Like the more money you give to me, the the greater bounty you will get at the end. Like to where it's just extremely exploitive and once again feeds on that, you know, I, I'm gonna send this guy five hundred dollars instead of getting this, you know, potentially life saving medication or treatment because I'm relying upon God to save me. It just seems like another part of this sort of whole exploitive, weird situation. And I, I don't really understand how how anyone can buy into it. Yeah, so that that's what they call prosperity gospel. And I would say in, in mainstream Christianity, that is looked down upon. Um, it's really certain sects. And I think it's easy to get caught up in that belief. But it's still millions upon millions of people who follow it. it it's like to say, yes, it's a small sect is, is one. The, there's, for certain pastors, they have millions of followers. But there's also plenty of these people. It's not just a few of them. There is a really high number of them who all have their own followings. And there's probably some 
intermingling between a few. I'm not going to deny that, but it's still like to say it's just a small sect, like I think really underplays just how rampant the problem is. That could be. But but I would say at least among all the different types of Christians I know, that's it's pretty widely uh, looked down upon. Um, but that being said, I think everybody has a little bit of prosperity gospel in them. Like even uh, just the moralism and the kind of ideas, like I was never in a prosperity gospel church. I, w- I would have been like, give your pastor money and good things will happen. That's ridiculous. But yet I still bought into like, well, if I prayed right, if I had enough faith and my kids wouldn't get sick or kind of ideas like, oh, well, if, if you don't have sex till you're married, then you're going to have a perfect relationship. And if you screw it up, then you won't. That kind of stuff. I think it it it's pervasive in Christian culture, even out, even among people who would look down upon the like very blatant prosperity gospel. So that could be, be traced back to, you know, you raise children to believe these certain things are going to grow up and believe it. I used to... Like the whole, all right, so tithing in church and stuff. And I used to believe that if you gave your 10%, then you don't have to worry about money problems. I used to buy into that. But when you read what the Bible says, it says God loves a cheerful giver. Now, to me, giving to a charity other than giving to a church makes me a more cheerful giver. It's not stressful to me anymore. Like if I'm just giving out of legalism, because this is what the church is expecting. That's not cheerful. I have more. I have. I find more joy in giving to somebody that needs help than I do giving to a church as to send their kids to summer camp or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Go ahead, Josh. I guess I, I guess leave you on a controversial plate. <laughs> Please do <laughs> for for the comment section. No, I I feel that. Any sort of indoctrination of a child in any belief system, whether it be praising a government in a pledge or making him recite hymns in a church about the all-loving power of Jesus, I liken that to being abusive to a child's mental development. I think that a child should grow up exposed to different things, and when they're old enough to understand the consequences of their views, make their choice then. I feel like if we, we if we were to address the, the elephant in the room, again, I think making kids say the Pledge of Allegiance and swear their undying loyalty to a flag it's just as wrong as making them swear undying loyalty to a god of any any sect. I feel like that needs to be handled when the child's old enough to understand the consequences of such a belief and what it actually stands for. I couldn't possibly agree with you more, Josh, on that. Maybe that's what makes me an atheist. I don't know. Maybe that's why we're atheists. I just, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm also a pacifist. So I, my, my, my criticism of this indoctrination of youth extends beyond the church. It extends into government. It, it's the, as a scientist, I, I feel like the most democratic science exists and the ability to question exists in a free system. You cannot dictate science. It has to be open inquiry. So when I dictate to a child something, you will believe in this God or you will worship this flag. I am harming that child's development. I want they should come to these conclusions naturally as they develop through an educated system. That, that's just, you know, maybe that'll get the fire, the fire up the comment section. I don't know. I 100% agree with you, I have to say. Like, hey! <laughs> <laughs> one of my favorite things is when my kids tell me they disagree with me or they question things that I tell them. I think that's awesome. And and I really think if you do believe something's true, then you don't have to be afraid of it being questioned. Like, I never understood that. My my love of, I, I became a Christian when I was a teenager. And I, what I loved about it, it was like there was so much 
to learn. And there was like this whole world that I felt like I never knew about before. And there was so much to like study and so much history there. But then I feel like I ran up against a point where it was like, okay, now that's too much questioning or like you're questioning in the wrong direction now. And it it was like, well, no, but this is what I loved about it. (laughs) I think we need to question it. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how a Christian could grow in his, his or her faith without questioning what's going on. Is that not why God made atheists? (laughs) <laughs> or, how, or how you could feel like like you have any understanding of the truth if you're not allowed to look at any other options. Like you're not making a decision then. Well, guys, this is this has been a lot of fun. Do uh, Nick or Josh, do y'all have anything you want to add or anything you'd like to plug for in? Uh, I mean, you have people read my articles or go learn math. One of those two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where, where, where can we find your articles at? Oh, uh, if you search my name, uh, Universe Today, we'll bring up my author's page. I've got a couple things there. And then if you want to know more about me, there's a little mini documentary about me on YouTube. Again, you search my name and it should pop up. I think it's called Journey to the Stars or something. can't remember. I did watch that YouTube. I sent it to uh, Abby too. That's pretty fascinating. This was a really good conversation. I appreciate you guys coming on so much. I loved it. Well, thank you for having us. Thank you for having me as well. Thank you, guys. Thanks for joining us this week on the Bad Roman Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you find your podcasts to never miss an episode. And while you're at it, if you like what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, it really helps people find us. 100% of donations are given to local charities in Memphis, Tennessee. To learn more about the Bad Roman Project and to find show notes, please visit thebadroman.com.